on. So, uh, like Josh said, for those of you who have not met me, my name is Mariah Felder, and I have the pleasure of being the youth pastor uh, here at ECV. Um, so, if you have middle school or high school students, come see me. Um, but today, we are continuing our series called Behold, Kingdom Summer, where we are talking about beholding the rule, uh, God's rule and reign in our world. And today, we are talking about a very important topic forgiveness in the kingdom. Um, But before we get into that, I want to start with a question. When you were in school, what were you known for? Uh, Oftentimes in school, we get reputations based on uh, who we are or what we do, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, Like if somebody is trying to use, trying to describe you, what is the thing that they use? Um, I think about this uh, a lot in our community because we have a bunch of Ryans, right? And you can be kind of telling a story and it's like, oh, you know, Ryan, which Ryan? Ryan, Ryan. Which Ryan? Right? But then you have to kind of give another dis- disclaimer to explain who you're talking about. Oh, Ryan with the muscles who prays. Then you like know the Ryan that you're talking about, right? All of you knew exactly who I was talking about and not the other like Ryans. Um, and, that's, and that's kind of how your reputation works. It's how people come to know you. And in grad school, my reputation was one as the, was the photographer. It was my work-study job to take uh, photos for important events, speakers, headshots, things like that. And soon, that's all people came to know me as. I often had to remind people that I was actually there to get a degree. Um, Actually, when I was handed my degree, our dean said, oh, what are we going to do now that we don't have you around to take photos? I was like, but I was here to be a grad student. Um, And there's nothing wrong with having a reputation. But the issue becomes when it becomes your whole identity. When folks see you, out, not, see you as nothing outside of the one thing that they know you as. And today in our, sto- in our scriptures, the woman in the Bible we'll be talking about, she had her reputation become her identity. We don't know her name. We don't know where she's from. We don't know anything else about her other than the fact that she was a sinner. But thankfully, Jesus saw her as more than just her reputation. And thankfully, he sees us as more than that, too. So before we go any further, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for uh, this time to gather here on the green. Thank you for each and every one of these people sitting in front of me. Lord, I pray that you help uh, all of us to see the ways uh, that you love us and that you see us as whole people um, and that ways that you forgive us for things that we have done in our past and that you, uh, yeah, you see us as more than the best or the worst thing that we've done. So God, I ask that you speak through me. Help me uh, to communicate your heart for your people. And I ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we are looking at one of my favorite stories in scripture. Uh, And this is found in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. So if you'd like to follow along, you can turn to Luke chapter 7. And I'll be starting in verse 36. Um, And I'm not going to read the scripture word for word. Because I want us to walk through this story. Because I think this story is a powerful, beautiful story of forgiveness and redemption. Uh, So I want us to kind of marvel together as we go through this story. And it starts with Jesus traveling, uh, preaching, and teaching in Galilee. And a Pharisee invites Jesus over to his house for dinner. And there's a woman. And like I said, we don't know who she is. She is unnamed. We don't know her story. But we know that she has a reputation for being a sinner. And I personally don't have a need to speculate about what her sin was. I don't think that serves us. 
But what we do know was that it was something that people in town knew about. They knew whatever it was that she was, that that's what she did, and she was a sinner. So what counts as sin? What is sin? When we say, use the word sin, what are we talking about? Um, and I think for our purposes today, a helpful way to define sin is to think of it as anything that puts a wall between us and God and us and other people. And when others sin against us, it's an attempt to build a wall between us and others and us and God. So whatever this woman's sin was, it built up walls between her and her community so that she was excluded, she was marginalized. And it built up walls between her and the love of God. And the passage starts with this woman arriving to the Pharisee's home. But I believe that there had to be another interaction where she came in contact with Jesus and his teachings about the kingdom of God and the forgiveness of sin before showing up to that dinner. And I imagine that Jesus was probably preaching and teaching to a crowd of people, and he sends them off for the evening as he would do. But this woman caught wind of where he was going to be having dinner for the evening. And she she came up with her plan. She was like, I'm going to go grab my most expensive jar of ointment and take it to this dinner. There had to be something that happened in her uh, before her interaction with her, the interaction with Jesus that we found, I find out about because she came to that dinner prepared to show her gratitude. So this woman has had this interaction with Jesus. She hears his good news of the gospel and she grabs her ointment and she goes to this Pharisee's house knowing that she has no invitation. No one is going to want her there, but she goes and she gets to the home of the Pharisee. The door Uh, might have already been open for all of the people who wanted to listen in to this conversation between the Pharisee and Jesus. And we know that everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd of people who just followed. So she walks in and she sees Jesus reclining on a chair. So they're having dinner and Jesus is kind of leaning up on an arm and he's reclining on on a couch and he has his feet behind him. And she moves past the people and she comes up to Jesus, stands behind him, looks at him, and begins to weep. And I'm not, I'm not talking about like a, you know, I'm tearing up. She's ugly crying just at the feet of Jesus. She is just weeping. She's crying on his feet and kissing his feet. And her tears are mixing with the dirt on his feet. So she's crying more and she's just washing. So to the point where she's washing his feet with her tears. And then she does something that no good Jewish woman at that time would do. She uncovers her hair and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. She's crying, she's crying on his feet and wiping, her fe- wiping his feet, crying and wiping and wiping. And, he's, and then she, she's now cleaned his feet and she anoints his feet with this ointment that she brought. And this sounds gorgeous, right? But this type of behavior was not normal, not to them, and not to us, it was bizarre. And frankly, if I'm being completely honest, it sounds kind of gross. Um, But it's like this beautiful thing that she does because of the emotions that she's feeling. And when people, and people do outlandish things when they're overcome by emotion. This woman was overcome with gratitude and devotion. Just imagine all of these walls that have been built up over the years, keeping her out of, of community, keeping her out from coming in close to folks, keeping her marginalized, keeping her as an outsider, and people talking about her and whispering behind her back, keeping her from feeling loved, all of these walls that have been built up all of these years, 
she comes in contact with this man named Jesus, and all of a sudden, these walls come tumbling down. And it's like a dam is opened, and she is flooded by all of, of the forgiveness and love God has to offer. And just thinking about it makes me want to drop down to my knees and worship now, so I can only imagine her standing weeping at the feet of Jesus. Like, I, I kind of get it. Right? It's this beautiful moment where she is just overwhelmed by the love of God. But the Pharisee who invited Jesus did not see the beauty of that moment at all. Um, he, in his mind, is saying, uh, in verse 39, it says that he thought to himself, if this man was really a prophet, he would know that this woman touching him is a sinner. And that's all he's thinking about. And it was pretty much unheard of for a prophet or a religious leader to allow a sinner to touch them, especially in this way. It makes them pretty much unclean. But Jesus shows how much of a prophet he is by responding to the Pharisees' thoughts. Right? So Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replies, teacher, speak. And Jesus goes on to tell a parable. He says, and this is uh, in verse 41, a certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt for both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus says to him, you have judged right. So to put this parable into perspective, a denarii is about a day's pay. So Jesus is comparing a person owing more than a month's salary to, over, to owing more than a year's salary. Like, that's, that's a big discrepancy. And to really help, help it to hit home, imagine if it was your student loans. It's the difference between being forgiven $1,000 of student loans and $100,000 of student loans. One person is going to be drastically much more grateful than the other. And they might even go out of their way and do something weird or look foolish to show their gratitude, right? And that's all this woman is doing. Jesus uses this parable to show that it's not the person who sinned less, who has sinned less, or the one who is more righteous, who loves more, and is closer to the grace of God, but it's the sinner who has been forgiven more, who is closer to the grace of God. Jesus was called, early in the chapter, Jesus was called a friend of sinners, and he wasn't ashamed of the title. He actually wore it proudly, because Jesus continues to illustrate the upside-downness of the kingdom, that the person closest to the kingdom of God is not the Pharisee who follows the letter of the law, but it's the woman who's known in her city as the sinner. And then Jesus turns to the woman, right? He's now told the story, and he's like, all right, like, I, I've given you a story that's pretty much put you in your place, but, like, now I'm really going really to make my point. Jesus turns to the woman and says, Simon, do you see this woman? Like, do you see this woman? Not the sinner, but this woman. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. He says, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. In that time, it was customary that when you had guests over, you would offer them a bowl of water to wash off their feet. Or if you had servants, they would wash the guests' feet um, because they're walking in dirt and dust all the time. So you wash off your feet before you come in the house. Um, and then men would often greet each other, especially special guests, with uh, kisses on the cheek. 
And it's not typical that you would anoint somebody every time they came over for dinner with oil. But you would typically anoint their head. But this woman anoints the dirtiest part of him, his feet. She went above and beyond while the Pharisee kind of did the bare minimum. And Jesus praises her for showing, for showing him more hospitality in a place where she wasn't welcome than Simon the Pharisee did who invited Jesus in the first place. And I just want to be clear here. Oh, there was an ant. Okay. Um, I just want to be clear here that Jesus does not ignore this woman's sinful past. He doesn't act like it never happened. But because she has been forgiven, he doesn't define her by it. Jesus says in verse 47, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, which is why she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Jesus lays out this cause and effect statement. Because she has been forgiven of her many sins, the effect is she has shown great love. So in our receiving forgiveness for our sins, we are transformed into people who can show great love. When the walls of sin around us are torn down, we can freely receive the love of God, and then we are able to give that love to others that much more freely. And in this exchange, Jesus lets Simon the Pharisee, the woman, and everyone around listening, that forgiveness in the kingdom of God is expansive. It's vast. It's unlimited. There is never a point where you have done too much dirt to be forgiven. He also shows that forgiveness is unmerited. The woman didn't have to do anything to be forgiven. She didn't come begging for forgiveness. This was not her groveling. She had the faith to believe what Jesus said and to believe that she was forgiven, and she was. So she came to that dinner to show her love and appreciation for what she already had the faith to believe that she received. And Jesus just confirmed it for her and for those at that table when he says, your sins are forgiven. She had the faith to believe she was forgiven when she walked through the door. Then Jesus sends this woman on her way with a blessing, like only Jesus can. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It was not her act of great love. It was not her tears, but it was her faith that saved her. And although this kind of sounds like a normal send-off, like Jesus is saying, hey, go have a nice day. It's more than that. It was a blessing, uh, a benediction for her to go leave in peace, to leave in wholeness, to leave with her head held high because she knew that she was more than just her reputation. She was more than what people said about her. And it didn't matter what anybody else had to say about it because she knew that Jesus himself had seen her and had forgiven her. So she could go in, in the peace of knowing that with everything in her being. She could go in the peace knowing that she was forgiven and loved. And when I read this story, I can't help but think about my mom. This woman in the story reminds me so much of my mother. Uh, my mom is the most Holy Ghost-filled worshiper, prayer warrior I know. And I'm not just saying that because she's my mother. Uh, she has no problem getting up at 4 a.m. to walk through the house praying in tongues or sweating out her hair and makeup in worship. And as her child, I'm like, 
you're doing a lot. Can we do less? Like, this is a bit much. Um, but one day she explained to me why she worships the way she does and why she prays the way she does. And she said that in her younger days, she was in the streets, partying, drinking, doing drugs. And her life was set on a trajectory that would end her dead or in jail. So when she started following Jesus, as committed as she was to being in the streets, she became that much more committed to following Jesus. Um, she always says that one of her favorite songs is I Give Myself Away. Because she says she has no problem giving herself fully away to Christ. Because when she controlled her life, she did nothing good with it. So she'd rather give her life fully over to Jesus, who could do much, so much more with it than she could ever imagine. And I love this about her. But as her daughter, especially as when I was younger, I would kind of wonder, do I have to kind of go out and go get my own cool like testimony where I like fall away from the faith, do a bunch of crazy stuff, come back. Now I love Jesus. And I'm like crying at the, at the altar, like, Jesus, forgive me. Um, and if you were also wondering at the answer is no, you don't have to do that. I'm not encouraging anybody to go and sin for a cool testimony. Um, sinning a lot just to be forgiven is not the only way to show great love, to show God great fervent worship. The key is the awareness of our imperfection. My mother is well aware of the ways that she has fallen short and why she is grateful to God for forgiving her and for saving her. So, but for, but for me and others like me who don't have this you know, dramatic story of faith, we have to work a little harder to remind ourselves that we are not perfect, that we are not sinful. Just because we've sinned less does not mean that we're sinless, right? So we have to do that work to continue to humble ourselves, to continue to remind ourselves that we are also broken people in need of grace, but that we too are sinful and that we too are forgiven. So regardless of who you are, what you've done, there is forgiveness available to you if you have the faith to receive it. Regardless of whether you, are, you find yourself in the story as Simon the Pharisee, who's like, no, I'm, I'm out here doing the best I can. I've, I've been at this for, for a while. I'm out here, you know, living, living the, the faithful religious life. Or you relate more to the woman crying at Jesus' feet. We all are, we all have access to the same forgiveness, the same love of Christ. Um, we just have to humble ourselves enough to know it. So before I, I leave, I want to give uh, three simple invitations and the worship team can come up. Um, the first invitation I want to give is that if you want to experience that unmerited, unlimited forgiveness that Christ has to offer, ask for it and have the faith to receive it. I encourage you to get prayer with someone later in our service during prayer ministry time, um, to have someone pray with you uh, about your desire to receive forgiveness. And again, no matter who you are, what you've done, what's been done to you, Jesus wants to knock down those walls keeping you from a fully experiencing his love. And my second invitation is if you are sitting here and you are thinking back over your life and you're thinking about the things that you've been freed from, the things that you've been forgiven for, and you are swelling up with gratitude, that is what worship is for. We will have a time to respond to what God has done and is doing in us. So my encouragement to you is to go for it, to do what you need to do, 
even if it is getting on your hands and knees and weeping or singing at the top of your lungs. You don't have to perform for anyone, but no one is judging you. Get what you need. Release whatever is being stirred up in you at this time. And lastly, if you are feeling like Simon the Pharisee, someone who considers themselves pretty righteous, who has been forgiven of little, and you don't understand why people are making such a big fuss about all of this, I invite you to ask God to show you where you need to be forgiven, to give you a spirit of humility, uh, and to uh, yeah, and to invite you into a place of asking for the forgiveness you need. And one of the most tangible ways that we can partake in the forgiveness that Jesus offers is by taking communion. Jesus instructed us that every time we take the bread and the cup to do it in remembrance of him. So let us remember that God loved us while we were yet sinners. When we take the body that was broken for us and drink the blood that was shed, we take hold of this new life that is offered to us, the forgiveness and the wholeness found in Christ. So if you have not received a communion, please lift your hands and someone will bring it to you. Um, but as we uh, prepare to take um, communion, let us just remember um, that Christ, that in his body, Christ offers us forgiveness and wholeness and access to his perfect, unfailing, unlimited love. So let us eat. And as we eat, I will pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for your body uh, and your blood that was shed for us. Thank you for the access that you give us to your love, uh, to your forgiveness, and to the kingdom of God. So God, I pray that you um, do a work in our hearts to help us see the ways that we need to be forgiven and, or the ways that you've already forgiven us that we just need to live into it. So God, um, be with us during this time. Do a work in our hearts and help us to uh, have the faith to receive the forgiveness and the love that you offer us. And I ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.